The Democrats have a socialist insurgency in their midst. Attorney General Barr authorizes election investigations. Is the Logan Act still a law? And Biden is selling out to tech oligarchs. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, my friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. It didn't take long, did it? Democrats can't get along for very long because they have to they have to coordinate a fraud, a dishonesty against the American people which is the pretense that the Democrat Party does not want things that it clearly does. So let's understand this. As we look right now at the the battle that is playing out between Pelosi and AOC, really, which is remarkable, isn't it? You have a woman who should have retired years ago who is a a ruthless and power-mad limousine liberal versus among the dumbest members of Congress, but also the most powerful, which is stunning, but... All you have to be as a Democrat, as we see with AOC, is a proper demagogue. Say what gets the mob riled up. Use wokeness and far left identity politics and socialism to convince people that what they would know from history, what they would know from actually understanding not just the past of this country, but of many other countries, is that collectivism and central planning, the Twin pillars of failure for socialism. Do not get better. It will not work. It will not make us happier, healthier, safer. No, it just empowers those who are seeking exactly that and make sure that the rest of us have less freedom, fewer decisions of our own to make. Now, Pelosi can't go forward with that agenda right away. She's supposed to be part of this old guard of Democrats, along with Joe Biden, who make the promise implicit and and explicit to the American people that don't worry, we're not as crazy as those socialists. We've got we've got control over the people within our party, the AOC wing, the squad and Bernie Sanders. Let's understand it's not just an, an age thing. It's an ideology thing. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are also two of the most powerful members of Congress on the Democrat side. And they're very much ideologically aligned on this. But what you have is a socialist insurgency from within the Democrat Party's ranks. And now that they've gotten at least to this stage where they believe they've won the election, although states have not certified, states are still counting as we know, they have to come out with how do you make your radical left-wing base happy while not showing the American people from the very beginning that they were essentially swindled. That good old blue-collar Joe, who you know you can trust. Joe Biden's not going to let anything bad happen to this country. That blue-collar Joe is really a red, or is going to do the bidding of the reds, the commies, the left. That's what they're trying to avoid, at this stage at least. They have to wait until they have the media do a whole lot of softening up of the battlefield for their more left-wing ideas, convince us that, well, when Biden makes a turn toward, let's say, Medicare for all. I mean, Joe Biden talked about this health care plan all the time. 
What exactly? All they do is just say, it'll, it'll protect pre-existing conditions. No joke, period. That, that's all he. I remember him ever saying. What exactly makes it better? What does it do? Oh, he's going to create a public option. A public option is just a different approach to getting us to Medicare for all. The way the Democrats will structure it, the public option will be an enormous net loss, right? So it's not going to be self-sustaining as a program. And it's just going to be taxpayer dollars going into shore it up. And so what it becomes effectively is a much more expensive version of Medicaid without any income requirements or with with much, much a higher level uh, income requirements. So people who are, let's say, making the average household income will qualify for this public option plan. How many businesses do you think will throw off their private employ their private health care plans uh, for their own employees because of the enormous savings. Why do they want to carry that cost? They're not going to want to do that. They're going to say, okay, go with the public option. That's why we all pay taxes, right? So understand that the Democrats are just trying to figure out how they sell now a vision of the future to the American people that isn't scary, but in the long term, they want to do the same things that AOC and the socialist left wants. <clears throat> So it's not that Nancy Pelosi has some big ideological objection to the kinds of socialism that are being pushed here. It's not that. It's that Nancy Pelosi is trying to keep this whole thing together so she can be elected Speaker of the House. And you'll notice that Republicans don't have this problem. Republicans uh, don't have some wing, some faction, a very powerful. We're not talking about three or four people we're that no one's ever heard of in, in Congress. When you look at the squad, AOC, and the socialist insurgency from within the Democrat ranks, it's among the most powerful, from a media angle, it's the most potent thing they have. <clears throat> and Republicans, for their part, argue about tactics, but, but overall, the strategy for America is, is the same. There's, there's not a huge wing of the GOP. When you talk about, uh, you know, a conservative caucus, you talk about those members of the of the GOP specifically in the uh, or rather of the House specifically that are in the GOP. They don't try to push for ideas that are radically at odds with or contradict what Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are saying. They're all just trying to row the boat in the same direction. Democrats have a different issue. They have a different situation. And it's because part of what they're doing is incrementalism towards socialism. That's, that's the Pelosi approach. And if you look over the last 20 years, you have more and more government spending, government control, government involvement in health care. And they understand that as people become increasingly aware of what the long-term plan is, the government taking more of your money and controlling more of your life. That's what the Democrats offer. Central planning and collectivism. That is the central ethos of what they're trying to do. It's just a question of the speed, right? Joe Biden on fracking is a perfect example of this. You say you're going to ban fracking next year and you're going to lose key states. So Joe Biden had to back away from that, even though you got to say that to make the left wing base happy with you because they really believe that fracking, which is an enormous blessing for all of us, for this country, for our economy. 
But they've been led to believe that fracking is going to destroy their drinking water and ruin the planet and, and all kinds of stuff, right? So what does Joe Biden do? What, what's the compromise you get from the old guard Democrats, right? The old guard Democrats. They, they say, well, we're going to ban fracking in 50 years. Now, that's essentially what they have to say right now, or 30 years, whatever it is that Joe Biden says, right? That's what they have to say right now to try to win at the national level. To fool, unfortunately, enough people in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and these other states that we've seen. And I told you along, it'd be about a half a dozen states. It'd be a very close election. So while I not yet can I say that I was wrong on who won the election because we don't know. But if you look at the overall trajectory of this race, I've got to say it was very close. It was a half a dozen states. And I did say he'd win Florida and Ohio. And he did. I still think he's probably going to end up with Pennsylvania. That's what I think the, the game changer will be. But nonetheless, Democrats have to lie about who they really are and what they're really trying to do in order to win those states, in order to win persuadable voters. And so that's why this socialist insurgency from within their ranks is problematic when they say things like, let's make Elizabeth Warren Treasury Secretary. You know, AOC was putting this out on social media today. Let's let's have Bernie Sanders be, I, I don't know, the Secretary of Defense. That would be interesting. We're not going to war ever. Uh, actually, that would be nice, but and then we'd also have a Department of Peace, right? He'd, he'd come up with all kinds of ideas that would not make a whole lot of a lot of sense. But the left will go along with it because Bernie Sanders is their favorite right now, although AOC will soon be taking that over. She has not already. But the Democrats now are playing with fire and they know it because we just had an election and they promised us a return to normalcy. And that Joe Biden, Joe Biden with his big, slimy politician grin, you know, it's really what this guy's whole life has just been about sounding the right way and having the right smile. You know, I'm just one of the folks it's riding my choo choo to work. Joe Biden, that's really been his career. And if before he even takes office, if he takes office, I don't want to have to keep saying that I this election is not over, but we'll have updates for you on that. But really, in the meantime, they can't let you know that the Democrat Party is a socialist party now. It's just a question of the speed they plan on getting there. It's just a matter of of tactical differences right now. And that has to do mostly with how fast they want to go. But they're looking at the same destination. That is what Nancy Pelosi's trying to hold back right now. And of course, she wants for her own purposes. She wants two more years as Speaker of the House, and this woman cannot get enough. Isn't it fascinating? These politicians, they don't tire of this. I think they become obsessed with it. I think Joe Biden is just another example of that. They need the attention. They need the power. They don't view this as public service. It's self-service. It's helping themselves and pretending to be helping other people. That's really what the goal is. And that's true of many politicians, and it's true on both sides of the aisle, but it's particularly egregious among Democrats like this. I think it's funny. People keep saying, I see this all over uh, the Internet. Oh, you know, what's Trump going to do now? First of all, I think Trump is going to continue to run, uh, meaning one, he's going to fight this battle to the end to see if, in fact, he really did win this election. And two, I think that the president isn't going anywhere. I think he realizes that he has a political movement now to steward and even if he did decide that he was going to pass this on, perhaps to his children, to Eric and Don Jr. and Ivanka, to 
continue on, which is a distinct possibility. Yeah, the guy's going to go back to being a billionaire who does whatever he wants and plays a lot of golf. Yeah, he'll be fine. But people like Pelosi, people like uh, Joe Biden, they don't know who they are without this. I mean, if Meet the Press isn't asking them to be on once in a while, they feel like what purpose do they really have? And so there's that wing of the party. And then there's the radical, uh, the radical wing of the socialists with the Democrat Party who understand the game. They know they need that apparatus of the elites along with them. And this is often the case. If you look at the history of, of revolutions in various states, you have that intelligentsia, the hardline intelligentsia, and they'll often try to work with big government, big business. They'll work within the established structure if they can to put themselves in power. They usually don't push them out. They don't overturn that entire established order. They'd rather co-opt it. And this is the struggle that you see going on right now with the Democrat Party. And all I can tell you is it's only been a matter of days since the election. And we already see that some of the central themes, central promises of Joe Biden's whatever it is right now, temporary uh, lead, uh, hopefully, in the Electoral College was a result of misrepresenting what the Democrats are all about now. They have a socialist insurgency that they cannot really control because that's where the Democrat Party is going, friends. And we all see it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The people who push this hysteria could not have more egg on their face than they do right now. None of their demands became law. None of them. The Speaker of the House did not get to personally rewrite election law. And yet, because of the sensible bipartisan steps that some of us championed, our defenses and countermeasures proved to be radically, in radically better shape than back in 2016. So it's time. Let's talk about where we are now. According to preliminary results, voters across the nation elected and reelected Republican senators to a degree that actually stunned prognosticators. Likewise, the American people seem to have reacted to House Democrats' radicalism and obstruction by shrinking the Speaker's majority and electing more Republicans. And yet, here we are being told by the media that this was a resounding success and shows how popular Democrat ideas are. Of course, that's absurd. All that we had here was the perfect storm of unbelievable, unhinged, universal media hatred of Trump. I mean, the orange, orange man, uh, orange man, bad uh, menace. You know, that was what was really such an issue here. Orange man, bad. He's so terrible. And all of a sudden we look around and see what what ideas are Democrats really running on? What defund the police? Does someone want to try that again? We want to have that debate one more time. Defund the police. No, it turns out that uh, white suburban women who we were told by pollsters hated Trump. No, actually, they, they did pretty well for Trump this time around. That was one of the reasons the polls were so far off. Because when people see riots on the streets and a party of abject cowards or people that are just egging this on, they like this idea of the riots in the streets. That's what the Democrats were all summer. They didn't call it out. We could all see it. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris 
are very, very delicate whenever they touch on the issue of the Democrat riots and Antifa. Joe Biden will not call out Antifa. It's just an idea, man. It's not period. It's not really a not really a organization that's a domestic terrorist organization. That's what they'll tell us. But the good news is that we have Mitch McConnell here who has been holding the line, has done a, a fantastic job on judges. And I know it's easy to easy to pick on Mitch for some things, and it's fair it's fair to say that he's an establishment guy. I know people in the past used to call him a rhino. I look at Mitch McConnell and say, guys, he he has not backed down an inch on judges, on putting constitutionalist judges all across federal courts up to the Supreme Court, and and has never once on those issues, had a Jeff Flake moment where it's, oh, I don't know, I'm scared, I don't want people to say mean things. So give Mitch McConnell some credit. And if we win these Georgia Senate seats uh, for Leffler and Purdue, then at least we'll be in a position to blunt the worst aspects, the most socialist and collectivist aspects of the Democrat agenda going forward. And I think that's, that's an important place for us to be in, because otherwise we're going to have some real problems. And even Mitch, you know, who's a very, uh, very, shall we say, I mean, we call him cocaine Mitch as a joke. He's a clear thinker. He's a pretty calm guy. He points out that the media doesn't get to declare who won the election. Play 13. If any major irregularities occurred this time of a magnitude that would affect the outcome, then every single American should want them to be brought to light. And if Democrats feel confident they have not occurred, They should have no reason to fear any extra scrutiny. We have the tools and institutions we need to address any concerns. The president has every right to look into allegations and to request recounts under the law. And notably, the Constitution gives no role in this process to wealthy media corporations. The projections and commentary of the press do not get veto power over the legal rights of any citizen, including the president of the United States. That's critical. doesn't matter how many news organizations call this. They're just giving you their analysis until the states certify, until these legal challenges are done. The process is not done. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Some additional good news from the preventing the country from collapsing into socialism and misery front. We have Senator Joe Manchin, who is technically a technically a Democrat in West Virginia. But as all eyes right now are turning, well, at least anyone concerned about Congress will be looking at these Georgia Senate seats that are involved in the runoff for January 5th. You have Manchin already saying now this is just his word who knows he could change his mind we'll have to see but Manchin saying uh, pretty clearly right now that he's not going along even if there is a a slim democrat majority he's not going along with their agenda in the senate play three when they talk about whether it be packing the courts or ending the filibuster i will not vote to do that I will not vote to pack the courts, I think, and I will not vote to end the filibuster. Brett, this system, the Senate, was so unique body in the world. It was made to work together in a bipartisan way. And once you start breaking down those barriers, then you lose every 
every reason that we are the institution that we are, the most deliberate body. So I want to lay those fears to rest that that won't happen because I will not be the 50th Democrat voting to end that uh, filibuster or to basically uh, block, uh, stack the court. And then all the other things you're hearing about, Brett, also is defund the police. I don't know of any of the Democrats in the caucus that are for defunding the police. We're not for that whatsoever. And when they talk about basically uh, Medicare for all, we can't even pay for Medicare for some doesn't make any sense at all. We've got to fix the Affordable Care Act we have, and I think our Republicans, moderate Republicans, will work with us to now repair what needs to be repaired. There's still sanity out there, folks, even among Democrats. It exists. It's there. There is still a, a reasonable way to approach political questions. There's still ways to keep these fights within the system instead of trying to tear it down. Isn't it fascinating how for four years Democrats have leveled this allegation of Trump undermining our institutions? Just they just parrot it. I mean, they just do exactly as they're told. They mouth the preferred slogans of the DNC as if they're, you know, reciting Socrates in the Agora. I mean, it's madness. There's this crap that they say all the time. And they'll say he's undermining our institutions. And then you'll say, in what way? Well, he did this thing and we don't like it, you know. Well, OK, you you had a universal injunction from the Ninth Circuit, which is full of left wing activist judges. But all right. And then Trump went to court. That's within the system. You see, the same way that they use fascism, that the libs use fascism now as a term for anything they don't like, anyone they don't like fascism, fascist. They've divorced it from its actual meaning as a term. But in the same way that they will throw that around. They also now will will continue to talk about undermining institutions that the other side is doing while completely forgetting, ignoring, pretending that it's not their side that is actually engaged in the explicit undermining of institutions. Democrats are the ones that want to transform the way the Senate does business. They're the ones that want to pack the courts. They're the ones that are always uh, trying to get new states added to stack the Senate for themselves, right? They're trying to do all of these things. This is changing the rules of the game. What we do, what's going on right now with these uh, legal challenges, that's all within the system. That's within the game. They just don't like it. So they say it's undermining institutions. I mean, there's a fundamental dishonesty to much of the liberal critique of Trumpism. And I, I mean apart from the Trump is a racist and a white nationalist and all these other horrible, really unjustifiable things that they say about the president, but they are not going to stop doing that. But, but I mean, even based on the actions, what was the horrible transgression of the Trump administration for these four years? It's all, it's all smoke and mirrors, friends. There's nothing there. What did he do that was so awful? They'll always resort to things that he said that they don't like that usually... They completely misrepresent or just outright lie about the worst thing that Trump did in his four years, according to the left, when you push them on it, always boils down to words they don't like. It's not really actions. It's not things that he did. What the unnecessary war that he started that killed so many people? No, didn't do that. In fact, was always trying to stop us from doing that. You see, now even looks like the deep state has a problem with the president trying to end our military uh, occupation in Afghanistan, which is going on 20 years. 
outrageous. Should be done. Our guys should be home. That's it. Enough. Enough's enough. But it's always about the words that Trump uses, and that alone is enough of a transgression that they think it justifies saying anything about this guy. Whatever they have to say about Trump, they will say. And whatever they have to do to stop him is also inherently moral in their minds. So that's why this attack on institutions uh, thing that they always say, I turn around and point out to them, who's really undermining institutions? Who weaponized the FBI? Who destroyed public confidence in career civil servants at the DOJ? You know who they want? According to AOC uh, and, and that wing, you know who they want to be the attorney general under Biden? Sally Yates. Oh, that's great. Let's bring a Russia collusion fraudster and put her at the uh, at the top of the government. Okay, that's a great idea. That's going to make people really feel like the DOJ is about law and not a political machine. Um, But they just said these things because they wanted what they wanted. There was never any principle under underneath any of it as we as we continue to see. So as long as there is a enough enough people in the Senate who are not completely insane on the Democrat side, which looks like just one, but as long as we have a an ability to prevent them from getting to that bare majority to to implement all these changes, we're going to have a just a really two years of gridlock, I think, which is assuming Biden wins a good thing. Right. Assuming Biden comes out at the end of this, there'll be very little that gets done and uh, people will be able to make their own determinations about what a a complete buffoon Joe Biden is. It's, it's amazing. It's really depressing. I'll be honest with you that this guy is in a position where he may be the next president of the United States. That He's the likely next president of the United States. It's sad that we have a country of 320 million people and this guy who's just a, a constant loser. I will say this. He is a a a bit of a a beacon of hope insofar as you can be an intense mediocrity like Joe Biden in every way. But if you just stay in it long enough and then also probably have no scruples or self-awareness. But if you stay in long enough. You might get what you want. It's definitely true in media. A lot of people that are in the media that have big, successful careers, they've just been in the game a long time. People have heard them enough. For enough time, watch them enough for enough time where it just becomes normal. And they go, yeah, you know, so and so, you know, I've been watching, I've been listening or whatever for 20, you know, 20 years or something. So I got to keep doing it. You know, really, you think your your local news anchor is some kind of a genius that you should be listening to all the time? I don't know about that, but some people think so. Staying in it, often all you need to do to win it. That's where Biden is. But Biden's declarations of this being over are premature friends play 15 this election is over it's time to put aside the part the partisanship and the rhetoric that designed to demonize one another it's time to end the politicization of basic responsible public health steps like mask wearing and social distancing we have to come together to heal the soul of this country so that we can effectively address this crisis we're doing mask wearing and social distancing. You utter moron. We're doing it. It's being done all over the place. It's been done for months and months and months and months. Virus still spreads. Big surge over the summer. Virus still spreads. More masking, more social distancing. Where are the, where are the studies 
based on actual trials of how effective this is. Isn't it fascinating that you see with the vaccine, that's science. They're, they're promising an outcome. They're promising percentages. They're producing data. They're opening into challenges. And there's credibility and accountability on the line. That's science. This mask stuff, this is, this is just emotion, friends. This is theory. It may be true, but they're using the theory as this battering ram all the time for anybody who wants to say, hold on a second. Well, the government has what power to do this now? And this is on all of us. Shut up, wear a mask or else. This is what we're always being told by people that, as we know, when no one's looking, they often don't wear a mask themselves. I'm, I'm not giving. Anyway, Biden said the election's over. I'm not conceding that at all. We shouldn't concede that. The Trump campaign's fighting on. That's what they should be doing. And I'm glad to see they are. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Our position is clear. We want to protect the franchise of the American people. We want an honest, accurate, lawful count. We want maximum sunlight. We want maximum transparency. We want every legal vote to be counted. And we want every illegal vote. To well, be well, well. I, I just think we have to be very clear. She's charging. Uh, the other side is welcoming fraud and welcoming illegal voting. Unless she has more details to back that up, I can't in good countenance continue showing you this. I want to make sure that maybe they do have something to back that up. But that's an explosive charge to make that the other side is effectively rigging and cheating. Uh, if she does bring proof of that, of course, we'll take you back. So far, she has started saying right at the outset, welcoming fraud, welcoming illegal voting. Not so fast. A little more after this. What the heck does Neil Cavuto of Fox News think he's doing here? What is that? Some kind of weird virtue signaling for the moderate rhino types that are watching him? Explain this to me. Kayleigh McEnany is the White House press secretary, and she is establishing the position of this White House and also of this campaign simultaneously that they need to find out what happened here, that they're going to the process. And she's making a claim that the Democrats, she didn't say they have committed fraud. She said they welcome fraud, which is a way of saying they make it much easier to commit fraud because they they eliminate all of the election safeguards and procedures that ever come up. They don't want voter ID. They don't want signature matching when they can get away with it. They don't, you know, they want maximum ballot harvesting. They want mail-in ballot. They want all these things that make it really difficult to see if anybody either cheated or also if there were just mistakes that were made that could change the outcome of the election. And he's cutting away from it. What is going on? You're already seeing there are people in media who felt like they couldn't go against the Trump movement for professional reasons and now that they get the, the first glimpse of, oh, maybe maybe it'll be better for me to to walk away from this now and start to trash the Trump movement. I don't want to end up on the, you know, the uh, Trump Accountability Project website. Right. I, I don't want to be somebody who can't go and you know, can't go move on. Look at someone like Shepard Smith. The guy went to CNBC. Nobody cares. This guy was lucky to be at Fox News. He won the lottery to be at Fox News when he was and as long as he was. People are like, oh, Shep Smith, so great. What? No, he's not. The guy does a job that a thousand other people could do. You wouldn't even know the difference. And he's a lib. 
and he got away with being a libid fox for a long time. That is completely unbeknownst to me, other than the fact that there are a lot of liberals on the Fox News news staff, right? The people that are part of the news division. There are a lot of liberals there. And somehow they're able to make uh, make waves and even push around the opinion shows when the opinion shows are what makes all the money. And I got news for you. You get rid of the opinion shows in primetime. Fox News is a different place, revenue and ratings wise, the next day. You try to be a news channel or you're going to be a, a slight, a, a less America hating version of CNN. I, I really mean this. What is Neil Cavuto doing? What does he think he's accomplishing here? Why did Chris Wallace ask Donald Trump after four years of being president during a presidential election to if he would denounce white supremacy and white nationalism? What is this? We all know what it is. They want to be part of the, you know, I'm one of the good ones club. I'm not I'm not somebody that was doing all of Trump's dirty work for him or something, which, you know, are you a journalist? You're an opinion host because cutting off the White House press secretary when she's giving a public statement because you think it's what it's unsupported or whatever whatever it is that's an editorial judgment what i think is so fascinating is so many of these people who think they're the serious journos out there don't really understand what journalism is if the white house press secretary is giving a speech that's news that's covered that's it you don't do oh uh, we're going to cut away from this because i don't think your your delicate ears could handle this what the heck is that and look, all she's really all she's talking about here is getting answers. She wasn't making unsupportable declarations. She's saying this is what we think. And we're trying to find out if it's true. Play 17. There were six hundred eighty two thousand four hundred seventy nine ballots counted in Philadelphia, in Allegheny County, that there were no poll, poll watchers allowed to watch. It's the job of the media to ask the question why, because all we are asking for is truth, transparency and sunlight here. That is all we are asking for. And sadly, we are asking the questions many of you should. And that's the problem, of course. Truth, transparency, sunlight. I mean, the, the Democrats, when it comes to elections, they're like vampires. Sunlight melts them. They can't handle this. They don't want people to know what really went on in these places. Here's what's so funny. Notice how there's no counter accusation from Democrats about Republican fraud because they're never going to find any. I mean, it's just the truth. They know. I mean, it's just not in our political culture. We don't riot. The left riots. We don't commit election fraud. The left commits election fraud. Now, these are not hard and fast rules for which there are never any exceptions, but it's a generally applicable rule. That's what you could call it, generally applicable. Just like they boycott, we don't. They shut down free speech, we don't. They believe in deplatforming, we don't, right? You go down the list. They don't even make the natural counterclaim that you would think would come up in a huge election like this. No, Republicans, because if they said that we committed fraud, you know what that would mean? It would mean that they're also, they must be on our team when it comes to asking for accuracy and sunlight and transparency. Oh, okay, you guys think that we cheated? No, they just want the election result that they've created, that they've already declared to stand. They don't care about anything else. But it's not even, a, they don't even break it up. They don't even say, well, you, got, you guys cheated in the way that they cheat. In 2016, what was the, what was the story? Oh, Russia cheated on our behalf. Not even that Trump voters, it was Russia cheated for Trump. You see that? Ooh, interesting. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've been telling you it's not over yet. Now we have somebody who could tell us just what that means. We have Tim Murtaugh with us. He is the director of communications for the Trump campaign. Tim, great to have you back. Great to be with you, Buck. Thanks for having me again. Tell me, my friend, what is going on right now? You got people out there that are saying that this is all over. I know the campaign's position is we're still very much in it. What's happening? Yeah, this this election is not over. And think about it this way. Seventy and a half million people voted for President Trump last Tuesday, and uh, he owes it to them to explore every avenue. And there are legal uh, avenues of recourse available. There are recounts available in multiple states. And so the president is going to do that to ensure and to make sure, because people deserve to know this, that our elections are free, fair, safe, and secure. And it's not just the 70 and a half million people that voted for President Trump. It's everybody who voted for Joe Biden. They deserve fair elections, too. And it's not just this election. It's every election, the ones moving forward and all that. We have ample reason to believe there are glaring irregularities, I'm sorry, uh, in state after state after state, examples of dead people voting, uh, people being ordered to backdate a mail-in ballots so that they would be illegally accepted as real votes. Uh, we see voting anomalies in all kinds of states and, and real disparate treatment uh, that has led us to go into court in a couple of states, uh, Pennsylvania yesterday, we're going to be filing in Michigan later today, that the way that these elections were run were uh, unconstitutional, and, and it's not proper, and we have to absolutely pursue these courses. And I know that the media wants to turn a blind eye to it. Remember, these are the people who told us that there is no such thing as voter fraud. And now they've moved the goalposts, and now they're saying, well, sure, there's some fraud, but it's probably not enough. And they don't even want to look into it. So we have to do that. And the way that we do it is through these court filings. It's not something that's going to be wrapped up in time for the 6 o'clock news. This is a gradual process, and people are going to have to have patience. And as we go through these court cases and go through discovery in these court cases, we are going to uncover things, and we're bringing examples with us already in court, but we intend to uncover more. Uh, And as we get further on down the line, um, we believe that the president still has a great chance to be successful and be reelected. Tim, I know there are multiple challenges in, in a whole bunch of different states right now. And as you pointed out, this is not going to be a a quick and easy process, but it's an important process. People do need to know that elections in this country are free and fair. Can you just give us a sense of what what are some of the most compelling legal challenges in a in a couple of the states that the campaign has brought so far? Just just so we understand, you know, for example, I've heard people say, well, there there are dead individuals voting and then online you'll see well that's just if they don't have a dob on record for somebody that's what some voting districts do is that true i mean there's there's a lot of bad information out there so give us a sense of what some of the compelling cases that have already been brought are sure and i would urge you just alluded to it i would urge people not to base uh, every opinion that they have on this based on what they see on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, We're trying to uh, weed through those and and get the real examples. And through our own due diligence, yeah, dead people really did vote. Uh, In Nevada, specifically, one area that we focused on, people registered to vote while dead, uh, requested a ballot while dead, 
and mailed that ballot in while dead. And I know that modern medical science has come a long way, but I don't think we're quite that far along the trail just yet. Uh, but in Pennsylvania, where we filed yesterday, uh, it's actually a very serious, uh, we believe, violation of constitutional rights under, one, the uh, Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution, also Elections and Electors Clause of the Constitution, uh, because the way that people were treated in their voting in Pennsylvania was different based on where and when they voted. If you voted in person in Pennsylvania, which was, of course, the majority of uh, Trump voters voted in person on Election Day, you had to sign voter registration and have those signatures checked against the voter rolls to make sure you were who you say you were. Uh, the polling place was monitored by legally required authorized poll observers and have their votes counted in a transparent, verifiable, open process. If you voted by mail, 2.65 million votes were cast by mail in Pennsylvania. If, if one of those votes cast by mail, no ID was required, no adequate verification of the voter's identity. The Secretary of State and the partisan state Supreme Court in Pennsylvania actually effectively moved Election Day by three days. State law in Pennsylvania requires that ballots must be received. That's the key word, received by Election Day uh, in Pennsylvania, the Secretary of State and the State Supreme Court moved that back three days and said, well, you know, we can get those in uh, three days later. And that's not to say they'd have to be postmarked by Election Day. No, they just have to be received now three days later, regardless of when they were postmarked. So there's all kinds of things. We were, we were uh, rejected. Our, our poll watchers, our poll observers were evicted from various polling locations in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. They are required by law to allow our people in there to observe the opening of ballots and the counting process. So people were treated differently in Pittsburgh and, and Philadelphia versus other parts of, of uh, Pennsylvania based on whether our poll watchers were allowed in. And they were also treated differently based on whether they voted in person or whether they voted by mail. Those are serious violations uh, of the Equal Protection Clause and the uh, elections and electors clauses of, of the Constitution. And what we're asking for is, is, to, is for a court to enjoin the Secretary of the Commonwealth in Pennsylvania, Kathy Bookbar, from certifying the election until we've had a chance to examine the ballots as we are entitled to under the law. And we're talking about at least 642,000 ballots from specifically Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. And that's, that's what we want to do. We want that they should not certify the election until we have allowed, are allowed to have access to them as required by law. And let's, let's remember that at this moment, Joe Biden has been certified the winner in exactly zero states, none. This election is not over. It's not over technically and it's not over practically. Uh, and remember that all throughout the course of the election, all through the campaign, when everybody was talking about polls, everybody leaned on the real clear politics average. That was like the gold standard. That's the one that will tell us what the real story is. Well, today, real clear politics lists that Joe Biden has won 259 electoral votes. That's not 270, right? And even in those 259, he hasn't been certified the winner anywhere. So this election is not over. We're speaking to Tim Murtaugh, communications director for the Trump campaign. Get a view of what the campaign is doing right now. The election is not technically over. Can you tell us, Tim, what what are because, you know, we, we're getting down into the minutia. A lot of people are experienced of elections, although 2000, I know there's some there's some uh, exceptions to this. But you know, it's election night and then you get a transition and and then you get a, a president who either is the incumbent or a new president comes in in January. 
what you mentioned certification, you're talking about an extended process. What happens between now and and January in terms of determining, you know, when do we know that this thing is over? And what does the campaign need to either say, yes, uh, you know, turns out Joe Biden did win or no, in fact, he did not win. I mean, you know, just, just give us a sense of what, what the process is here. We keep talking about process. What is the process? Well, it's state by state. There are different tracks in every single state. You know, ultimately, the Electoral College will meet and cast their votes and, and uh, determine who the president's going to be. And then the inauguration is uh, on January 20th. But prior to those things happening, uh, each state certifies the results of its own election. And so that's why we're in state court all over the place uh, going through these processes. And, uh, for example, we have, we have a, a lawsuit that we're dropping today in Michigan, in uh, Detroit. And, and part of that is going to be a similar argument about how there was disparate treatment depending on who you were, whether you voted in person or, or by mail, very similar to our Pennsylvania lawsuit, which I just discussed. But we also – there's a, a separate lawsuit that someone else has filed that's not connected to us that is actually very interesting uh, in which there, we have a, a whistleblower who has signed a sworn affidavit uh, who says that uh, he was ordered to backdate ballots, to accept ballots that were I- illegal. That would be post-election day. That would be too late to be counted. Uh, we also have a similar affidavit signed by someone in Erie, Pennsylvania. A postal worker has signed a sworn affidavit saying that his supervisor ordered uh, all of the workers there to backdate mail-in ballots. Uh, I also mentioned the the dead people voting in Nevada. That's a very serious concern. Thousands of people voted in Nevada who were evidently uh, ineligible to be registered voters in the state. In Georgia, and this is one of the things that we'll talk about as well, This is more of a statistical anomaly that just requires further investigation. Take a look at it this way. On Election Day, Joe Biden received 100,000 votes more than John Ossoff did. John Ossoff is the Democrat candidate for the Senate, statewide candidate in Georgia, just like Joe Biden was a statewide candidate. But Biden got 100,000 more votes than Ossoff did. That means 100,000 people went into the voting booth in Georgia and voted for only Joe Biden and no one else on the whole ticket. That doesn't make any sense, especially when you compare it to the other side of the ticket and President Trump. President Trump, compared to Senator David Perdue running for re-election against Ossoff, had virtually the same vote total, only separated by about 800 votes. Why is it that everybody who went into the voting booth to vote for President Trump also voted for David Perdue, but 100,000 people went into the voting booth in Georgia and voted for Joe Biden, but not anybody else. Very good now, question. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't in and of itself prove anything, but that is a statistical anomaly that really cannot be explained. I want an answer so we to want, that. We want to, dive, and we want can, to dive into that. Can you tell us, and we're speaking to Tim Murtaugh, Director of Communications for the Trump campaign. Tim, can you tell us, what about this Michigan software glitch? Where's that? Yeah, that's going to be something that's also part of the lawsuit that we file later today. It's going to, we, we want to know what happened, and this is part of the discovery process. We want access to these machines and access to examine the software because what we have now is the anecdotal story of what happened in this one county, but we're also aware that this very same software was, was used in counties all over the place. Uh, in Michigan and and perhaps elsewhere, but specifically dealing with Michigan, we want to know and we want to be able to look at it. This is this is the thing. When the media says to us, "Oh, you don't have any proof," well, it's because the proof 
would be currently in the custody of the states, and we need access to it. That is the purpose of these lawsuits. People, the media wants to know, prove it. We had a press conference yesterday. Fox cut away from it and then cut away from Kaylee McEnany while she was there at the podium. And none of the other reporters would even write about it because they've already decided this thing is over. There's no fraud. And then they say, well, they demand our proof. And we say, look, we're explaining to you the steps that we're taking to gain access to the proof. And they don't even want to hear that. I mean, it's very much a parallel of the whole campaign, where if it was bad news about Joe Biden, they just wouldn't write about it. They put, pretended it didn't exist. And here you have the media that last week said there was no fraud whatsoever. And now they say, well, sure, there's a little bit, but, you know, we're not even going to look at that. So uh, how much fraud is acceptable to them? And why aren't they curious? I thought they were the great defenders of our constitutional freedoms here. And that includes, of course, the right to free and fair elections. But somehow the media is not too concerned. I think it's any minute now they'll go back to talking about how Russia uh, influenced the last election, but they won't talk about dead people voting in Nevada. Tim Murtaugh of the Trump campaign. Tim, thanks so much for bringing us up to speed. We appreciate it. Good luck to you. You bet. Thank you, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, it's easier to be a parent this morning. It's easier to be a dad. It's easier easier to tell your kids character matters. It matters. Telling the truth matters. Being a good person matters. And it's easier for a whole lot of people. If you're Muslim in this country, you you, you don't have to worry if the president doesn't want you here. If you're an immigrant, you don't have to worry if the president's going to be happier to have babies snatched away or send dreamers back for no reason. This is vindication for a lot of people who have really suffered. You know, the, the, I can't breathe. You know, that wasn't just George Floyd. That was a lot of people that felt they couldn't breathe. That was Van Jones on CNN. I thought about playing that for you yesterday. That was from a couple of days ago. And I didn't. But I thought you should hear it, actually. Um, because look, I, I I could do what a lot of folks would hear, where they would start. Look at me. They would they would start mocking a grown man crying on TV in this way over a presidential election. But one, I really I don't I don't do this show, and I don't approach my work, and I don't view my politics as as ever a, a vessel for being unkind, being cruel, being uh, being unnecessarily uh, demeaning toward anyone. And yeah, I make fun of Pelosi and and. Bernie and all the rest of them. But, you know, they're big, powerful people and they can take it. And I, I don't do so in a way that is meant to um, you know, demean them as human beings or, or you know, and, and belittle them in in ways that they're uh, that they would actually be, you know, emotionally wounded by. So I'm just trying to say that I, I there are guardrails here and I see a man crying like this. And I think, why is this? Why is this newsworthy to me? Because it is. And I think you need to hear stuff like that. Let's let's assume that that was all. And I don't believe Van Jones is is acting. Uh, some of you might think that he is. I don't believe that Van Jones is acting. And I know Van Jones a little bit. We've debated before on TV. I've met him in person. I'll say he's he's a pleasant and an affable fellow. Just I tell I tell you the truth. Van Jones is a pleasant and affable fellow. And he's smart. Um, 
I think he's wrong on pretty much every major question of American politics. Not every single one, but on pretty much every everyone. Uh, but I, I want you to hear this because you have this you have this uh, really panic and paranoia around Trump that you need to understand how much th- there's still this uh, this period we're going to go through here where people are working through this. And when I said Trump derangement syndrome for all those years, when I talked about that, what I'm really talking about is is a mental illness. I mean, I think that people internalize Trump for four years as president in ways that was honestly irrational. And, and it's a little sad. I actually heard this and my first instinct wasn't that I was going to, you know, make make jokes about or something, because, look, Van Jones clearly upset about it. The guy and I disagree politically, but I, I wish the man no. I have no ill will toward him. The only people I have ill will toward in this game are people that have come after me personally. And there's a number of them. But, you know, and that's I'm a human being and I'm allowed to have beef with people. And that's the reality. But, you know, people that are just on the other side, I don't have any problem with them. I I actually want them to agree with me because I think that then we'll all be working for the same team, which is going to make their lives better, my lives better, make for a better country. But I I heard the, the pain in this guy's voice. And I, I just, it was a, a moment, a reminder for me of Democrats really, really convinced themselves, a lot of them, millions of them, that Trump was some kind of a monster, an unfeeling, evil monster who was going to do terrible things to them and their family. And this is a mass delusion. It's not supported by the facts. It's not supported by what happened in this country during his presidency. But understand that when we're making the case and we're trying to oppose the other side, this was widespread among I mean, millions. I, I would say a majority of the Democrat Party was suffering from some version of Trump derangement syndrome where the facts, the reality didn't matter. They also felt like they needed to tell their kids that don't worry, we're going to we're going to fight against the fascism that's you know enveloping America or whatever. Th- this is it's sad. It's it's a little unhinged, but it's also a little scary that Democrats could take themselves to that place. They're really that terrified of Trump. The, the answer was yes, they are. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I implore everybody who's celebrating the day to remember, it's good to be a humble winner. Remember when I was here four years ago? Remember how bad that felt? Remember that half the country right now still feels that way. Please remember that. Remember that for the first time in the history of America, the life expectancy of white people is dropping because of heroin, because of suicide. All these white people out there that feel that anguish, that pain, that mad because they think nobody cares. And maybe they don't. Let me tell you something. I know how that feels. I promise you, I know how that feels. If you're a police officer, and every time you put your uniform on, you feel like you got a target on your back. You're appalled by the ingratitude that people have when you would risk your life to save them. Oh, man, believe me. Believe me. I know how that feels. Everyone knows how that feels. But here's the difference between me and you. You guys hate each other for that. And I don't hate anybody. I just hate that feeling. That's what I fight through. That's what I suggest you fight through. 
Dave Chappelle over the weekend at Saturday Night Live. I didn't hear the uh, the rest of the show. I didn't watch the show. I don't like Saturday Night Live. I think it's generally just trash. And I mean that it's not funny comedy, never mind the politics. But that's what the beginning of a conversation about unity feels like. It starts from a, from a place of, of empathy. Now, Dave Chappelle said some stuff during the BLM movement that I disagree with, I think is unfair. Um, but that's his perspective. And he's clearly a Democrat. I think he's a Bernie Sanders supporter. But I will say that even just this message of stop hating the other side, stop it. That's and, and speaking to Democrats about that, really, that's the beginning of a conversation. If you really want to talk about about unifying the country, we're very divided over uh, over some critical ideas. I mean, Democrats are never going to convince me just to pick one off the top of my head that their position on on babies in the womb is, is anything other than barbaric and, and evil. They're never going to convince me of that. But. Okay, there are other places where we're all just Americans and we can agree to disagree and we don't have to have the, you know, knockdown drag out fights. But I I appreciated here that Dave made the uh, that Dave Chappelle made the appeal to everybody. Let's understand, you know, the other side, they, you know, Trump supporters have emotions and feelings, too, and they all have their view of what the country should be like. And this is the beginning of of making things just just bringing the temperature down a little bit, if that's even possible, which I'm not even sure it is right now. I, I think that increasingly. It's just going to take time. Um, and unfortunately, I think for a lot of the left, you know, you'd hope that they will learn from the failures over time of their policies. But look at California. The California effect is playing playing out all across the country. They took over what was a Republican state. With tremendous dynamism infrastructure i mean california is one of the most gorgeous places along the coast in the world it really is and an incredible climate and and arable land and there's so much about california beautiful mountains i mean all this stuff they've got right and you look at all of this and they're destroying it i mean the democrat policies are ruining the state of california it's a place you don't really want to live anymore unless you're really really rich and then you just insulate yourself from all the bad policies But what happens? Those Democrats flee. We saw this in this most recent election. They flee. They go to other places and they don't take the lessons with them about what didn't work before. They think now they'll do it better. And this is one of the continuing fallacies of socialism and communism. I'm just going to say it. It's, you know, real communism has never been tried. Right. Real socialism has never been tried. To that, I also want to say, well, I guess real capitalism has never been tried either. We either can look at the way systems play out in reality all around us and look at history and try to learn from it, which I think is one of the core, one of the foundational mindsets for being a conservative in America. What has worked? What is true? And what can we learn from these things? But on the other side, uh, they continue to just say, we'll do it better the next time. Don't pay attention to this failure. You know, going forward, we'll figure this one out. Let's assume that it was a failure of implementation, not a failure of of ideology. So the California effect is something I think is very troubling, because what I what I meant, why I'm thinking about this with the Dave Chappelle comments about trying to just be take yourself to a position of put yourself in the other on the other side shoes. Right. And I know Republicans and I've been pointing this out. I think it's very valid. Look how we've reacted to an election that 
was we thought we won. At least a lot of people did. I didn't. I was unwilling to say it. But we thought election night Trump was going to win. It looked like it. We wake up the next day and all of a sudden, no, he didn't win. There's no rioting. There's no looting. You know, that's that's a basic decency that should become the standard in our politics. And we should insist that the other side adopt that approach, too. There's really no leeway on that. There's there's not a negotiation to be had over whether there will be riots or not because people didn't get their political, their preferred political outcome. But, you know, there's a part of me that feels like even if Democrats get their way and we see how disastrous and damaging so many of their policies really will be, I'm not sure that they will learn. I, I think that the the ability for the left to self-correct is always limited. And you could say their self-correction is self-limited uh, because of, of some of these ideas that have become very central to their thinking. One of them is that the it's never the results. It's always the implementation and we'll do it better next time. Right. If you're looking for a a a foundational flaw in left wing thinking, it's that central planning is a good idea and people should not have we should not maximize individual decision making and individual freedom for the benefit of all society. Notice maximize is not the same thing as a, you know, a libertine free for all, do whatever you want. No, maximize always pushing for as much as we can in the you know, in our lives to be determined by individuals at the micro level. Our whole system of government is supposed to, if you look at the vision of the founders, be built to that end. But Democrats come across with, uh, they, they come across this time and again, and what their response is is always some version of, you messed it up, or we weren't, you know. It's a little bit like the mask theorizing. Notice that when the numbers don't make sense for them with the masks, when they don't, when it doesn't flatten the curve in time, when it doesn't work as a countermeasure, it's because we didn't do it well enough. It's never that the idea maybe is fundamentally flawed. See, that's that's a I, I think it's something even deeper than just brainwashing and political ideology. I, I think that people who believe in this left wing thinking, they it's I'm going to say it's their brain structure, but it, it's so, so intrinsic to how they view everything that it's very difficult to, to pull them away from this. If only the smart people are in charge, making the smart decisions for all the rest of us, everything in society will be better. It feels like that's just hardwired in their synapses. Very difficult to get them to see who are the smart people. What evidence is there that the smart, how do we pick the smart people? How much authority do they have, right? You start to, you start to chip away at, at the central planning ethos that's central to socialism and collectivism and in these ideas that the democrat party represents i mean the democrat party in america it's effectively the socialist party we just call it the democrat party i mean you look in the, the case of europe where there are open socialist parties and the difference between what they want and what the democrats want is at best a matter of degree in some cases it's it's not even really apparent but the, these are the the big ideas that we're going to continue to grapple with and try to Part of it is trying to understand the other side. Meanwhile, they're just going to look at us and be snide. Uh, they're going to say, you know, feel the burn, you know, stuff like that. I mean, speaking of comedians who are the absolute worst, uh, Stephen Colbert, here's one of his jokes. Play 20. 
after Biden's victory was announced, people everywhere in America flooded the streets from Times Square to Denver to San Diego to Miami to Atlanta. That is the biggest presidential rally of all time. Never a good sign when the majority of Americans react to you losing your job the way they did to us getting bin Laden. It feels like America is, what's the word? Great again. See, that's a, that's a smug jerk move from a guy who does nothing to really help anybody these days. He, he just feeds into the machinery of Democrat political delusion, gets a big fat paycheck to do it, and, and believes somehow that he's one of the good guys. Believes that what he's doing is worthwhile in America. And unfortunately, it's not. It's not. Just another voice saying the same stuff that all the rest on the left are saying. So that's one version of it. There's another which is just, you know, shut up and take it, Trump supporters. You get this from uh, Whoopi Goldberg, play 23. I want to say to all those people who don't believe that Americans actually got out and voted, let me say this to you. When you know who was elected four years ago, you know, Hillary Clinton didn't say, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. Stop the count. She didn't say, this isn't right. I'm not going for it. She didn't say any of that. So all of you, suck it up. Suck it up like we sucked it up. And if you are not sure that you're comfortable with Joe Biden, do what we did. Find things and then take it to the law. And if the law says it's something to look at, look at it. But from now on, suck it up. Grow the pear for him that he can't grow for himself because this is ridiculous you're not sure that he won are you bringing into question all these americans who voted legally so there's a lot of very sloppy thinking here from a political talk show host i i, I know i mean you know had has had quite a career i don't really i don't know i will get into the the she's a tremendous success story and i couldn't begin to understand exactly what the particular appeal and skill set would be but she has been a, a tremendous success story so there's that uh paid millions of dollars to say very foolish things on television about politics and here's just an example of what we're up against she'll say things like hillary didn't the, the assumption really the the assumption or the you know baked into this analysis is that Hillary didn't uh, refuse to accept. I mean, that's crazy, right? We all know that Hillary, the whole Russia thing was already going on with the deep state. The Hillary DNC paid for the dossier. They ran the ultimate dirty trick against the Trump administration and then tried to undo the Trump administration using a special counsel in the Department of Justice to do it. Running effectively would be, you know, Hillary cabinet appointees People like McCabe, who clearly thought that his future was going to be either the next FBI director or maybe maybe director of the CIA or, you know, who knows? Use those people inside inside a Trump administration that he inherited to try to use the law against him to bring the Trump team down to maybe even prosecute the president of the United States or his family members. They did prosecute some of his advisors. You're going to talk to us about being good sports and sucking it up No. Not ta- not taking that lecture from libs. Not happening. Not even a little bit. Not even for a second. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
So just after a week after the polls closed, Democrats and the media want to ignore these clear irregularities and rush to call states as one and end the certification and canvas process. We're hearing we need to unite. We need to come together. Well, for the thousands of people who spent time and hours going out to be part of this process, who feel disenfranchised, who don't feel like there was transparency, we can't do that unless we we search out all these irregularities. Even one instance, even one instance of voter fraud should be too many for all of us. We intend to ensure that every lawful voter has their vote counted in accordance with the law, that observers are granted the access they are due under state law, and that any irregularities that have occurred, whether by malicious intent or incompetence, are investigated to the fullest extent allowed under the law. Democrats demand it. The media, an appendage of the Democrat Party or vice versa, went along with it. They, they, they demanded a three-year special counsel investigation of the Trump campaign and the Trump administration for Russia collusion that did not exist. Why can't we have six weeks or so of looking into election fraud and irregularities, see if it's there? Shouldn't Democrats want this wouldn't it be better for all of us if at the end of this whole process we could say you know what we looked for it we thought there was fraud we thought it was there turns out it's not turns out there wasn't any or not enough for us to change any votes or change any states uh wouldn't that be better for all of us i would like to know that I would like to know, and I've told you all along, I will absolutely accept it if we get to that point. And somehow Joe Biden had this miraculous turnout. And we've heard, you know, 100,000 votes for just Biden, nobody else in Georgia. Hmm. Maybe the orange man bad theorizing of the Democrats for years had the intended effect. Maybe that's possible. But I do believe that there's really no argument against this right now. And the Democrats wanted to just move on. It reminds me a bit of moveon.org, a horrible left wing organization, was founded because they wanted to move on from the Clinton impeachment. Let's just let's forget all about this. Let's forget about what this guy did. This, you know, slimy would be felon, Bill Clinton. Let's uh, let's forget about it. Um, And now they're just going to attack anybody who looks at the actual coverage of the situation. Play 22. Two parallel Americas. It cannot be more stark. And if you're not seeing what's going on in right-wing media, you're missing half the story. I mean, in people's Facebook feeds, tens of millions of Americans on Facebook and Twitter are seeing this nonsense uh, all across television and social media. And there's no one in charge. No one in charge except President Trump setting the tone and then others falling in line. There's no one at Fox News that is saying, this is crazy, this is irresponsible, this is dangerous. The Murdochs are letting this run rampant all over Fox News. And there are moments where, you know, once every 24 hours, there will be some pushback on the lies about voter fraud. But that is not the story. The story is all of these propaganda shows telling uh, the audience that there might have been mass voter fraud and that President-elect Biden is not the legitimate president-elect and that you shouldn't believe what you're hearing in the rest of the media. Brad Stelter. Uh, let's tell you, first of all, the, the, Biden is not the legitimate president-elect. The states haven't certified their their elections yet. So does he, does he, I'm a fact-based journalist. Uh, I mean, really, I know Zucker's pulling the strings over there and telling you what to say, buddy, but come on, give me a break. Can't even cover this stuff. Can't even talk about it. Not even talk about the possibility of fraud, but Russia collusion, that was on the up and up. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I know this isn't a huge issue that we're going to be talking about for a long time, but, but I do think it matters. It matters because every instance of media and Democrat hypocrisy that we see that goes entirely unchallenged just encourages them. It just means they've gotten away with it a little more and they're more likely to do it again. And also there's something deeply cathartic. There's something that it feels like you're, you're purging some rot from your soul when you see the way these these libs, these Democrats continually lie and the double standards they they deploy it 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 helps you expunge that stuff a little bit to just call it out i don't know if it's going to have the intended effect i don't know but you know you speak the truth without even knowing what the what the ultimate consequence will be you speak the truth because i know this will sound cheesy but it is the right thing to do it is the right thing to do and that's why I want to take a little trip down memory lane with you to something called the Logan Act. Remember the Logan Act? Just for a quick review, it stretches back to, uh, well, stretches back to the period of American foreign policy. So we're going back over 200 years here, a period of American foreign policy where there were people who were trying to, for a young nation still figuring out its own boundaries and borders, they did what was referred to as a freebooting Freebooter comes from actually the uh, the Dutch freebooting. They would go and, and do their own version of foreign policy. So they create this thing, the Logan Act, that's meant to stop that from happening. They don't want people making deals on behalf of the U.S. government at a time when, you know, there were far fewer people in America. And, you know, you, you got European monarchies you could cut deals with. You got enemies of the United States that anyway, you, you get the idea. No one has ever been successfully prosecuted under the Logan Act because it's a vague and unconstitutional law and it should not be allowed to stay on the books. They should formally, Congress should formally repeal it. But it, it turns into one of these things, like all these laws, you'll see, what are they called? Blue laws in New England, they'll have them. You're not allowed to kiss your wife on the mouth on Sunday or something. And to this, every, every red-blooded American's like, yeah, buddy, try me. You're going to arrest me for that? Good luck. And, and we just sort of let it let it lie. We just sort of, although they won't sell you liquor in some places on Sunday till a certain time. I mean, there are some laws that are still enforced around this stuff. But the crazier ones, we say, fine, fine. It won't it won't mean anything. But I disagree with the idea that we should leave things on the books as laws with the implicit promise that we're just not going to enforce them because, well, people of bad intention who don't operate in good faith will abuse that leeway. And we already have one of the most uh, profound examples of this you can imagine with the usage of the Logan Act as a pretext for an FBI ambush of General Flynn, who is still, as I speak to you now, being ground down into dust by a federal judge who has taken on the role of solo federal prosecutor because of Trump derangement syndrome that he suffers from and there is no justice right now for General Flynn. I know it's gotten better, but there's still no justice. I think the president is going to probably have to pardon him. I think that might end up happening, being the case. I don't know, unless, unless they get this thing done before um, 
before Trump leaves office. Because you can't really think a Biden administration is going to do the right thing by this guy. Of course not. He's on the enemies list. Because Democrats create things like enemies lists because there's a, a viciousness and a sadness at the heart of Democrat ethos. And it's challenged with, well, there's moral relativism. There's so much, there's so much work that it, that's uh, needed to be done with the Democrat Party and what it really stands for. But that's, that's not a conversation for another day. That's a conversation we have every day. But the Logan Act is not supposed to be something that anybody is ever really in jeopardy for. You're not supposed to be worried about the Logan Act unless you're a Republican. And then it's used as a pretext to start an investigation. And then the hope is that they will use uh, they, they will bring you up with a process crime. That's what we're told about. That's what we know happened with General Flynn. They said that he lied about a conversation. They were investigating. Remember that they. They were investigating General Flynn because of an illegal leak. We never found out who the leaker was. No surprise, of course. But an illegal leak from the uh, to the press corps. And then the FBI under Comey and Comey was kind of, you know, smirking and smug about it. Oh, yeah, we'll send some guys over. The, it's during the it's during the transition. The administration's not going to know what hit them. So, yeah, we'll send some guy over. And and they sent over. Peter Strzok, who we know is a deep state hack, uh, and uh, another, I think it was uh, Pientka, the other FBI agent. And they sit down with him, and the whole, the whole basis of this is that he may have violated the Logan Act. And that was the excuse. And that's, you know, Sally Yates now says, oh, well, I wasn't really comfortable with that. Yeah, she didn't stop it, though. You'll notice that. Didn't shut it down, trying to entrap General Flynn. And it was personal for the Obama administration clowns because they had done all this anti-Russia stuff after the election, because remember, that was why Hillary lost, because of Russia. They had already decided this. So uh, they'd done all this anti-Russia stuff, and then Trump just says, or Trump's incoming national security advisor, General Flynn, says, just just take commensurate action. Don't don't escalate. Just, you know, respond. We're coming in. Let's let's basically trying to trying to cool things down a little bit before, because you could also argue it's kind of irresponsible for the outgoing Obama administration just, you know, start dropping bombs for the next guy to clean up. You know, you're going to do stuff like that. Oh, OK. Yeah. Usually you get the the pardons and the, like like the uh, Mark Rich pardon by Bill Clinton. The guy was a fugitive financier, just basically a rich guy who fled the country, never even faced justice. And he was a big his wife was a big donor to Democrats. So they pardon him. Bill Clinton pardons him. And who was at the very top of the DOJ processing that part at the time, Eric Holder, who then came back as Obama's attorney general. So so he was, of course, rewarded for being a part of that highly, um, highly dubious and unethical legal, but unethical pardon of of rich. So, you know, we look at we look now at these issues. We look at these. And some of you may actually be hearing my. My beloved French bulldog is she sometimes has a little touch of asthma. So you might be hearing her in the background. Sorry about that. But she is with me as I'm doing the show. So it's not me. Just so you know, whatever, whatever noise you're you're picking up right now is not me. It is Tallulah, who is um, she's going to be fine. She just does this sometimes. All right. Then you have. So so that was the application of Logan Act against Flynn. It was all a scam. And they use this. Uh, they, they use this as a weapon against him. And you remember the media went to bat in general terms for the Logan Act. I mean, the media was willing to say at the time 
that the Logan Act is it is a law. Right. I mean, it's not really a law, but it is a law. So it was all pretextual. It was all a bad faith basis for the ambush of of General Flynn. And based upon him having a conversation with his Russian counterpart, Sergei Kizilyak, the Russian ambassador to the United States. Well, guess what? Ben Rhodes, who was Obama's foreign policy chief propagandist, was on TV talking about how Biden, who is not even yet officially the president-elect, despite what the media says, is having his team run around doing a bunch of foreign policy stuff. Play one. The Trump people seem to be talking like they have some agency here. We're going to have the pageantry already of the president-elect announcing his advisory board. He's going to start announcing cabinet secretaries. The center of political gravity in this country and the world is shifting to Joe Biden. Foreign leaders are already having phone calls with Joe Biden talking about the agenda they're going to pursue January 20th. If that reality hasn't sunk in yet for some people in the White House, it will sink in when they have to leave on January 20th. And they're going to be in for rude awakening here. But so they're already having conversation. Explain that to me. How is that not a violation of the Logan Act? Where's where's the Obama DOJ when you need him? Why aren't we sending an FBI agents to interview everybody who Joe Biden has tapped as a would-be cabinet member? I mean, what is he creating a shadow government? He's not the president-elect. States have not certified. Votes are still being counted. What under what legal basis? The Logan Act is still law. That's what we were told. Under what legal basis are these Democrats having conversations about U.S. foreign policy under the the perception that they're the incoming administration? And, and by the way, that didn't save General Flynn, right? He was the incoming. No one, no one disagreed. He was the incoming national security advisor. And they used this against him. They used... They used the Logan Act. So I just I would just remind you, friends, this is where we are. This is the circumstance in which we find ourselves that one side will do this and get away with it. And the other, we're supposed to still think that General Flynn wasn't completely, completely uh, just screwed over by his own country. Uh, by his own DOJ, by FBI agents. I mean, they should really, anybody at the FBI and the DOJ who had any part of that, and the federal prosecutors, of course, the Mueller team, a bunch of Democrat hacks, they should be ashamed. They're disgusting. Disgusting. What they did is, is horrific. And, and they're, they're slimy, dishonest, power-hungry, ideologically uh, hardline leftists and, and libs and Democrats. And they r- ruined a good man. I mean, they... They've destroyed his reputation, bankrupted him for what? Oh, OK. But we all see this. It, it's just expected. The Democrats go through life knowing that we the same way they know that we won't riot. They know that we won't play hardball against them the same way they'll play hardball against us. And we're not going to we're not going to pretend that we're morons and that we believe some dossier compiled by some loser ex-British spy. And, you know, we're not going to do that. They do that. We're not going to do that. And now we can feel better about ourselves as people and understand that we're more ethical. But you also have to remember that their lack of ethics and their ruthlessness is an advantage. It's an advantage. We're trying to have a clean fight and they're trying to throw low blows and kidney punches every chance they get. 
So you're always going to be at a disadvantage. At least Trump has come along saying, fine, let's at least take off the gloves. I may not throw low blows, but I'll take off the gloves. And uh, with, with this Logan Act thing, you just see it again. I know that uh, General uh, Attorney General Barr has uh, said that the DOJ is open to investigating fraud in the elections. Yeah, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting to be shocked and awed by the Durham probe. Are we, are we ever going to see? I, I think Biden, if he if he's able to take office, I think he'll just shut that. You'll never hear about that. It won't even they'll there'll be some pro forma report. Yeah, we didn't find anything. You think the Democrats are above that? So if we don't have a report in the next few weeks, it's going to be zero. And it's going to be only slightly, slightly better than zero, even if we do have a term report in the next few weeks, as I've been telling you. I told you the truth, didn't I? How many times did I tell you, don't expect the Durham report. No one's getting frog march. And I'm sorry. I just I do like to point these things out because I get heat from people. There are a lot of there are a lot of folks, especially in conservative media. They say whatever they believe the largest percentage of the audience wants to hear. I don't do that. I respect all of you. And so I tell you all the truth. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Why is that happening that the cases are jumping so quickly and so in such great number? What are we doing wrong? You know, Gail, we have a perfect storm coming together. We have pandemic fatigue. People who were distancing themselves from others for months who've just decided, you know, I kind of am done with it, uh, even though the virus isn't done with them. We have a group we, I call pandemic anger. Up to a third of the population that believes this pandemic is still a hoax and that it's a politically motivated activity. Then you pile that all together with indoor air, where basically we're bringing people indoors much more. We know transmission is enhanced. You know, an average house will basically recirculate its air about once to, uh, to two times an hour, whereas if you're in a hospital, it's 12 times an hour. And so that you see virus accumulated in homes. So when you have a, a dinner, like a Thanksgiving dinner, it's not un, unusual to see transmission of one person to 5, 10, 15 people in that home. Add that all up together right now, and that's what's happening. We just are not taking this virus seriously. I, every time they say that, I want to scream. What are we supposed to do, jackass? We're not taking it seriously. We've been we've been not living our lives for eight months. What's it going to be? Another another eight months? The virus has been spreading. So we've been doing the things they've been telling us to do. The virus keeps spreading, keeps spreading. Up and down, sure, but there's been no stop, no total stop in transmission, as we all know. But oh, it's because notice. The central planners, it's always something else that's at fault. This is central planning via medicine. A few people making decisions that are played out throughout all of society without understanding the need for local decision making, local judgment and improvisation. In this case, local meaning as individuals and as family units. They can't protect you from it. The Biden team is going to come in and the amount of dumbass propaganda you're going to hear about how they're doing such a great job with COVID is going to be mind-blowing when it, all you have to do is pay attention to what's actually happening and what they're saying. So what are we going to do? We're not going to gather as families for Thanksgiving? Yeah, you could stop the pandemic if we all stay locked in our homes. That's not a trade-off we as a society are willing to make. What do they not get? They have no answers, friends. The only positive news here is about the vaccine it's not about the Biden plan. That's all bull crap. 
The only positive news we, we have is the vaccine. And now, of course, they're already questioning, oh, well, we got to see how long is the vaccine even going to work? Plane nine. Same guy. First of all, I think it's very encouraging news, and I'm obviously very pleased to see that we have now evidence that this vaccine approach can work. I think the challenge that we have yet, uh, where I'd be very cautious, is what does that 90% mean? Do we prevent 90% of fevers, coughs, and, and chills, or do we prevent 90% of severe disease, hospitalizations, and deaths? And we don't know that yet. And if we use influenza vaccine as a model, we know that, for example, in patients there who are most likely to have severe outcomes are also the people least likely to respond well to the vaccine. So, uh, you know, we, we really need to get that information. Another piece of information yeah. we need, which we just can't get yet because of time, is, in fact, how long this vaccine will work and and that's going to be something we'll learn over the days and months ahead they're never going to give up this control voluntarily that's what you need to understand what they've established here with covid they're just going to, it's just going to go through cycles they want they want to be able to continue to control you in this way even with a vaccine that's 90 percent effective they're going to say well it could mutate so we need to have all these this massive health bureaucracy on steroids, all the regulations, the ability to shut down businesses, do whatever we want. And do you think they're not going to replay this the moment they say there's a particularly bad flu season in the future? No, I mean, the the story is that we have to do this or else people die, right? That's what they tell us. Thousands of people will die unless you listen to me. That's what Joe Biden says. Play 16 the foreseeable future, a mask remains the most potent weapon against the virus. Today's news does not change that urgent reality. I won't be president until January 20th, but my message today is to everyone, is this. It doesn't matter who you voted for, whether you stood, who, where you stood before election day. It doesn't matter your party, your point of view. We can save tens of thousands of lives if everyone would just wear a mask for the next few months. Not Democrat or Republican lives, American lives. You know, maybe we'd save the life of a person who uh, stocks a shelf at your local grocery store. Maybe it saves the life of a member of your place of worship. Maybe it saves the lives of one of your children's teachers. Maybe it saves your life. So please, I implore you, wear a mask. Do it for yourself. Do it for your neighbor. A mask is not a political statement, but it is a good way to start pulling the country together. We've been wearing masks, jackass. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. And also don't forget to go to BuckSexton.com. We're going to have a, I'm going to have an editorial up there probably tomorrow. We put post news stories throughout the day. So BuckSexton.com, please check it out. Add it to your home pages. Uh, One stop shop for all things Freedom Hut. And uh, let's get to it. Alex, if Trump ends up losing, it's because of all the brainwashing the media and big tech did. The elites will be fine. It's the little people that will suffer under, suffer under Biden. Um, Alex, I think you are correct. Uh, it is the little people who will suffer under a Biden administration, although 
the great irony is that you're told those are the people who will benefit the most from a Biden administration, right? So the, the people that will suffer are supposed to be the ones that will have the greatest benefit. Meanwhile, you'll see, you see that the elites in our society, the people that make a tremendous amount of money and have positions where they feel like they have a lot of influence and a lot of social capital, and uh, they're Democrats by and large. So the Democrats are the party of the elites and the dependent class. That's what has really happened in America. And and then you have a lot of um, brainwashed, woke, you know, upper middle class, uh, urban elite types. But that's what the Democrat Party is. It's not the party of people that get up, go open the store at, you know, 6 a.m., start stocking the shelves and you know have their wife work in the register. That, that is not that party, whether they know it or not. It is not the party for, for folks like that who are just trying to make it all happen, maybe save up enough to send the kid to college, and, you know, don't, don't want to have to be dependent ever on the states. Not for them. Uh, and I, I'm very troubled. I, I mentioned this at the very top of the show. I, I don't like this, but it's, it's completely predictable. What do you got, Eric Schmidt from Google? You're going to have these, these mega tech executives, I think the general counsel of, what, what was it, Facebook, or the general counsel of one of these other uh, they're bringing they're already saying the Biden team's already going to bring in these names from big tech and it's going to be this very cozy relationship. And look, it used to be that Goldman Sachs and these other incredibly powerful financial institutions that are still very powerful, but not the same way they used to be, not not quite the same punch, uh, but they would want to have their people go into an administration. And there was a lot of a very cozy relationship. You remember during the uh, during the Bush years, even people would talk about Hank Paulson and government sacks, you know. Well, now what you have are the tech oligarchs trying to burrow their way deep into the Biden administration. And, and it's something the Biden team wants too. does anyone really think that it's an accident that Twitter and Facebook and these social media giants have all gone just out of their way? and lit their credibility on fire in order to help Democrats in this last election. It's, it's completely unsurprising. We all knew that that was likely to happen, maybe not the extent of it, but it's also from the perspective of a Jack Dorsey, from the perspective of these different CEOs, in a, uh, you know, Pichai and um, uh, what's his name, uh, Tim Cook over at Apple. You want to be in tight with the Democrat administration. Big government, big corporations love each other. Very, very uh, happy to, to work with each other. Uh, they like the they like the central planning, the anti uh, anti competitive edge that they'll get from government regulation, right? Because tremendous government regulation. Who does that affect the most? It doesn't affect Twitter. Twitter's got an army of lawyers. Facebook could Facebook could just just have every you know major uh, lawyer in one of the top ten law firms on retainer. Just pay all their bills. They got money for that. They could do that. No problem. All day long. They, they could have thousands and thousands of lawyers on retainer just pay their salaries year round. doesn't matter. So, so you think that regulation or taxation, you think these things are going to have a really big impact on them? No, of course not. You want to create a possible competitor? You want to create a competitor to one of those organizations? They're going to drown you in red tape and regulations. You know, I've started a couple of LLCs myself in the last six months. It's a nightmare. 
a nightmare. Regulations and fees and this and that. Oh, it's a total, total pain in the butt. And I don't have a staff of people. I, I don't have people that are doing all this stuff for me. I'm just trying to get going. I'm trying to create the beginnings of, of a limited liability corporation for myself with diff- different projects I'm working on and things I'm up to. And it's, it's a total pain in the butt. But somebody else who's already established in that, in that place, you know, they've already got the lawyers to handle it, the staff to do all the annoying and onerous red tape compliance Right. So there's going to be a very cozy relationship between more than cozy. It's really an unholy alliance between big tech and a an incoming Biden administration if we get there. Owen next up. So the media projects Biden the winner after the Dems steal the election. Now the media, and the Democrats can say Trump isn't accepting the results of the election and stole the election. If the legal challenges, et cetera, succeed to give Trump a second term. Owen, you're right. And that a lot of this right now is uh, shaping shaping perception to the advantage of Democrats, no matter what the actual outcome is here. That's something that we see. That's something that is underway right now, that the Democrats are making it so that they can't lose no matter what, because let's say these legal challenges are successful, which is a huge if. And remember, I told you, I tell you the truth. It's a huge if, folks. I give it maybe a 10% shot. Just telling you the truth. That's not a 10%. I think it's, I think it's 50-50. We uncover um, pretty widespread fraud. We're definitely, we've already got irregularities, but I think it's 50-50 we uncover widespread fraud. I think it's even if we uncover the widespread fraud, it's a 10% shot that the election result as declared right now by the media will be overturned. That's not zero. Right. That's 10 percent. But that's just to give you a sense of where my head is on this. I think we've got about a 10 percent shot of this. Of course, you fight that out. You play that out. And 10 percent shot of saving you from having to deal with four years of a Biden administration. You're darn right. We're going to take that to the mat. Uh, But yes. Oh, and if in fact that does happen, very unlikely, um, very, very unlikely that you'll have anything other than Democrats saying, well, now it's Trump who's stealing it. So if we uncovered that there was theft, the Democrat mindset will be that is the theft, you see. So they can't lose in their mind. They, they're, they're never going to accept that maybe Donald Trump actually got more votes, legal, legitimate votes than Joe Biden. There is no future, no matter what we show them. If we were to uncover videotape of, you know, Democrat operatives in Detroit and in Philadelphia and in Atlanta showing up and filling out ballots, you know, a hundred at a time by themselves and then running them through the machines, they'd still say, yeah, but not not enough to call into question the results of the election. Just understand that. And and I always like to make sure that we manage our own expectations here on the right. I'm going to tell you this right now. If Joe Biden really does fall into the grip of and it's a very sad thing if this happens for anybody, right? You know, I, I, I don't want anyone suffering from dementia. I don't want anyone getting cancer. Anyone, you know, I, nobody in, in our lives uh, should ever have to suffer from any of this. But if Joe Biden were to fall into the grips of dementia I mean, and it was clear so that nobody could ignore it anymore, they're going to say it was still worth it to elect a guy at his age, even with the early signs of decline to defeat Trump. So don't don't think they'll ever admit they were wrong. There's there's no future in which they will admit that Joe Biden did not win the election. I'm talking about Democrats now. They'll never admit that. It doesn't matter what evidence we find. And, and if Biden does win the election, 
they will never admit that he was a a poor choice and that this was an irresponsible thing to do to put him forward just because they thought he could win. So I, I want everyone to understand that that is that is where we are right now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call now. Dylan, I have a two-part question. First, about mail-in ballots. Isn't the purpose of this to mail them in before the day of the election and not on the day of the election? It's like if you mail it out on election day, you could just go to the polls and vote. Here in Colorado, the commissioner that ran uh, put out an automated call saying it was too late to have them mailed on Saturday before the election, so they suggested to vote in person or to turn the ballots into the legal ballot boxes. Then second, the software that was found in Michigan, uh, that glitch counted ballots for the Democrats that were actually Republican votes. This software was used across 30 different states. Shouldn't there be a need for a recount across those states for the reason of faulty software? Dylan, um, I I asked the Trump campaign, you remember earlier in the show, if you didn't go back and listen to it, uh, if you would, please, on demand. As you know, we have a podcast of the show. If you're listening on radio, you can listen to any parts of it you missed any time. We even have a shortened version, the best of Buck, that goes up every day. So if you want this three-hour radio show condensed down into just our our highlighted segments, uh, producer Mark, how long is the best of? Usually from forty-five to fifty-five minutes. There we go. So we'll call it roughly forty-five minutes. Uh, you can listen to to that as well, and, and I highly recommend you do. So um, as for so uh, yeah, as for Michigan, and we asked the Trump campaign about that. And yeah, they're looking into they're looking into it. I mean, I don't have more for you than that. It's certainly suspicious. And, and I also I do think it's fair to point out that somehow the glitches always go one way. The glitches go one way. And I just feel like we should be able to say, hmm, that's a little weird. It's a little strange. Just going to point that out. And as for mail in ballots. Uh, yeah, I think you're supposed to get them in before the election, but Democrats played all these games and they said fear of COVID and all this other stuff. And so it was a different, different situation than it would normally be. Uh, but it depends state by state. They have different rules and regulations around voting stuff. So, yeah. Uh, Aaron, my worry is that like everything else illegal the Democrats have done, nothing will come from looking into the voting fraud. Democrats time and again do messed up stuff and are held accountable for nothing. We know cheating happened in this election. Even if it is proven and shown that Trump is the winner, will anything happen? That's a huge concern for me. The Democrats get away with everything. Well, Aaron, you kind of read my mind because, as you know, earlier in the show, I said or or just a few moments ago, I think even if we find the cheating, it's about 10 percent. You've got that the courts really take action necessary, meaning they either invalidate illegal ballots and or. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the ultimate sanction is. I, I guess they could have a special election in a state or there's probably election law is its own area. And I am not an election law expert, not a lawyer at all. Um, but really what we're looking for, I think, is to to get rid of ballots that are illegal. And anything that you have, for example, that's just suspicious, that's inexplicable, but not caught red-handed fraud, no judge is going to say, yeah, you know what, we should exclude those. Just because the law says that they should be excluded, I'm telling you, I don't think judges will exclude them. That's my belief. So, Aaron, 
Yeah, Democrats do get away with a lot. They got away with Russia collusion. Who was held responsible for Russia collusion? No one in the media. No one in the Democrat Party. Nobody. You got a couple of people the FBI fired. Who cares? Now they're right. Now they're getting book deals. They're going giving speeches and they're fine. So, yeah. Jesse Buck, I'm trying to remain poised facing this dire situation. I understand moving on and acting responsibly. It's what we do as a party. No riots or violence here. We're not the infantile delinquents we stand opposed to. However, if there is a devastating flip in the Senate and the left controls the entirety of our government and moves to pack the court, I see little to no recourse for us as patriots other than start a serious revolution before they start the country as we know it. Line and wait. The red, ra- the red wave is real. Uh, Jesse, let's not, let's not look at worst case scenarios for where the Democrats go and, and how all this shakes out. Uh, let's not do that. Let's hope that we hold the Senate and that we're able to prevail on whatever common sense is left in the, the center of this country. People like Joe Manchin in West Virginia and say, guys, come on, we don't really want to go down this path. And I'll tell you this right now, you know, may, and this doesn't probably benefit me to say on radio, but it's the truth. As soon as we get out of covid, you know, we're all going to feel a lot better. The country is going to feel much better. Um, there's a lot of good, happy stuff to look forward to in your life. I can assure you of that. Even even if the worst happens with Biden and the Democrats and they get control and everything else, there's still going to be, you know, delicious food to eat. There's still going to be family to spend time with and fun stuff that you're going to do and, you know, time out fishing or on the golf course or, you know, whatever. I'm just saying we, we fight on as happy warriors. We don't we don't ever give in to despair we don't ever start crying and, you know, and, and all that stuff because we don't get our way in politics. Uh, you know, you, you cry when a family member passes, when your dog passes. I don't know. Producer Mark, am I missing? What, when else are you allowed to cry? I guess maybe a hard breakup, something like that. Yeah, but that you do. I think that you do privately. I think crying is OK then maybe, but you do that privately. You know what oh, I mean? you're talking about out loud crying? Like yeah, yeah. Public? Oh, yeah. Those are probably Fa- family probably. member dies. And I would say dog dies, you cry, fine. Maybe tears of joy at a wedding or something. Yeah, tears of joy. No, tears of joy, different deal. I think that's fine. Um, But crying over politics, no. There's no crying in politics, friends. We don't do that. We don't do that. Um, Bob writes, just started listening to you in March of this year. Great show, big fan. Well, Bob, you have fantastic taste, and we're big fans of yours. Question about the election. If the widespread evidence of fraudulent balance and cheating is proven... Could the electoral votes of states like Pennsylvania, Michigan and Georgia be pulled from Biden? Would they then be given to Trump or at that point awarded to no one? If neither candidate can claim these states and Biden falls under the 270 electoral votes, would the presidency go to Congress to decide? I've been a cop for 20 years. Your experience in law enforcement is one of the reasons I listen to your podcast. Great show. Keep up the good work. Uh, well, Bob, thank you so much. Thanks for helping keep the streets safe, my man. And as for what will happen here, uh... I don't know. I don't trust that there are people brave enough within the judicial system to do what's necessary if we uncover the kind of fraud that we think may have happened here. I'm just going to tell you that. I wouldn't count on it. And as for how it all goes, it depends. You know, if it's maybe they invalidate 3,000 votes, but then, you know, Biden still wins. Maybe they invalidate some votes, but then also they say they have to then extend the procedures and they come up against a deadline to find out about other. I don't know. 
Very complicated. We'll continue to dig into it together, though. We'll make sure we're up to speed on everything, and I'm going to become a, a student of election law in the days ahead. I can assure you of that. Team, please pass the buck. Tell somebody about this show. Send it to them on one of our various uh, platforms for podcast listening. Until tomorrow, Shields High.